Hello, my name is Petr Kříž. I work as a physiotherapist and I'm also research associate at the Department of Philosophy Palacky University of Olomouc. I'm here with my co-author Jan. Hello, my name is Jan Halag. I'm assistant professor at the same department. In this presentation, we would like to outline a concept of phenomenological physiotherapy by extending Merleau-Ponty's interpretation of bodily intentionality. More precisely, our goal is to clarify the significance of Merleau-Ponty's phenomenological account of the body for the physiotherapeutical practice. We will not concentrate on recapitulating the well-known arguments of Merleau-Ponty himself, but rather on how Merleau-Ponty's ideas on the body make it possible to fundamentally change our view on theoretical and practical problems faced by the present-day physiotherapists. We proceed in two steps. In the first step, we demonstrate some of the fundamental weak points of the current physiotherapy on three levels. The general theoretical paradigm of physiotherapy, the relation of the practical techniques to the theory, and the empirical research and academic public publications on physiotherapy. In the second step, we explain how the practice of physiotherapy corroborates Merleau-Ponty's account of the body as the bearer of an original bodily intentionality. We first outline the reasons for Merleau-Ponty's refusing the objectivist interpretation of the body, and then we define the key elements of a physiotherapeutical framework based on the idea of an original bodily intentionality. In this way, we aim to clarify how a proper theorization of phys physiotherapeutical practice makes it possible to elaborate further Merleau-Ponty's own account of the body. I now give the floor to Peter, who will summarize our critical observations on the current physiotherapeutical practice and theory. In Western countries, physiotherapists are educated within the theoretical framework of Western medicine, which is itself built upon the paradigm of mechanistic physiology. In this perspective, the body is understood primarily as a physico-chemical system of tissues and substances interconnected by causal relationships. Correspondingly, the clinical reasoning in physiotherapy approaches the patient's body as a malfunctioning object which has to be fixed by means of external manipulation and mechanically repeated exercises. These mechanical processes are expected to bring the malfunctioning parts of the body back in compliance with the supposedly universal norms of corporeal functioning. However, there are many different hypotheses on the causal relationships with the body and they are not always linked to one another. What is more, the theorists successfully develop new hypotheses without necessarily accepting the old ones or building on them. As a result, different theories are thought in different institutions. The theoretical equipment of physiotherapy consists primarily in a system of knowledge that allows the apprentices to disclose various causal relations within the physiological body. Yet, unfortunately, as we will later see in more detail, this ability does not make it possible to design an optimal physiotherapeutical interven intervention. For these reasons, we argue that the basic ontological presupposition of the current theories, that is, the ontological interpretation of the body as an object, leads physiotherapy into a state of crisis. The more narrowly practical part of physiotherapeutic education is even more diverse than the theoretical. It consists of a multitude of techniques, 
which have usually been developed in practice by experienced masters. Usually, the techniques are not based on the above-mentioned mechanistic paradigm. On the contrary, they only become accepted in theory if they were first successfully employed in practice. Only then are they subjected to a conceptual generalization in the language of the mechanistic physiology. Therefore, far from being mere applications of a theoretical paradigm, the empirically tested techniques are continuously transformed into quasi-scientific facts only through a post-hoc theorization. This approach results in paradoxical situations. Is it helpful to apply heat or cold to stretch before or after exercise? Two different techniques such as these lead to solving a given physiotherapeutic problem despite the fact that they are based on contradictory natural scientific explanations. Likewise, in the everyday practice, a given bodily dysfunction can typically be attributed more than one theoretical explanation by a therapist, yet none of these explanations provide sufficient grounds for a decision on which technique to choose, or explain by itself its eventual success or failure. Any therapeutic intervention can be described within the mechanistic model, for example as strengthening or stretching certain weak or shortened muscles. However, such a description does not make it possible to explain how exactly the therapist achieves the optimal performance of the exercise. As for the academic publications on physiotherapy, they are dominated by quantitative empirical research. Its main goal is to standardize the techniques employed, make them measurable and thereby guarantee their repeatability. Yet the consequences of this approach again demonstrate that the mechanistic paradigm is insufficient. The standardization requires researchers to radically reduce the complexity of the processes described. Also, in many cases, the conclusions seem to be only reached at the cost of distorting the statistical methods. Crucially, the loss of complexity due to the statistical standardization results in a decreased efficiency of the techniques examined. The interrogation is limited to answering isolated questions such as whether, in particular case, it is better to opt for a flexion or extension or which number of repetitions should be recommended. We therefore argue that by fragmenting the context of the therapeutic intervention, the so-called evidence-based research on physiotherapy fundamentally hinders physiotherapists' capability to respond to patients' needs in concrete bodily interaction. Now, I will ask Jan to explain why we believe that the objectivist idea of the body prevents physiotherapy from achieving its optimal efficiency. As it is well known, Merleau-Ponty argues that our bodily relationship to the world is irreducible to a linear physical causality. This is evident, for example, from the fact that a mechanical damage of the body does not immediately lead to a loss of a, pa a particular type of experience. And similarly, one type of experience can be maintained under very different physiological and environmental circumstances. As Merleau-Ponty explains more precisely, there are people who lost their hands, but who have no difficulty with perceiving and practically relating to what is handy or ready to hand. Similarly, a traumatic amputation of a leg does not directly cause a person to lose their sense of walking or standing.
After the loss, they still relate to their environment as graspable or walkable, even though the physical part of their body that could fulfill the intention of grasping and walking is not anymore available for them. And vice versa, even if the body is objectively present and physiologically available, we may become incapable of using it. This can be illustrated on the so-called Japanese illusion. When we intertwine the fingers of our hands so as to disturb their typical configuration in synergic actions, we are more likely to fail in executing a simple task such as pointing with a specific finger. In this case, the apraxia is merely experimental and temporary, but there are also cases of more permanent apraxias. Meloponte's interpretations of these cases show that we have to acknowledge that the physical part of the body are related to the subject neither as causes of her experience nor as mere instruments of her disembodied intentions. Our goal at this point is to demonstrate the importance of this insight for the physiotherapeutic process. As we have explained earlier, the mechanistic ontological framework of the current physiotherapy assumes that all subjective variations of bodily experience strictly correlate with objective deviations from physiological norms. However, the relation between the first-person experience and the third-person physical body is more complex. For example, two patients with the same objective deviation from an objective norm, such as sacroiliac joint blockage or hallux valgus deformity, can have very different subjective difficulties. One patient may exhibit uh, an objective deviation without having any subjective difficulties, while another reports severe difficulty with only a minor objective deviation of the same type. For this reason, a therapeutic intervention that aims exclusively at the elimination of objective deviations does not necessarily lead to a subjective relief. These discrepancies suggest that the objective physiological norm of an optimal bodily performance has to be understood as individual and variable in time. By consequence, a given subjective condition can always be linked to a different set of causal factors, and the list of these objective causes is potentially infinite. Simply put, the objective physiological structure of the body does not exactly correspond to the real subject of the physiotherapeutic intervention. That is, a body capable of acquiring and potentially losing an understanding of how to execute its intentions in the world cannot be exhaustively described from the third-person perspective. However, we cannot claim either that the experiential body corresponds to the patient's conscious awareness of her own body. In some situations, Patients can benefit from instructions on how to manipulate specific parts of their body with the help of an explicit awareness. Yet, such an approach is again insufficient for an optimal therapeutic effect. For example, a patient who has uh, an insufficient stabilization between the chest and the shoulder blade tends to employ an inadequate strategy of reaching for objects situated above the shoulder level. If the patient follows the physiotherapist's verbal explanation and consciously changes her bodily posture in the shoulder and the chest area, this this change will not by itself make her overcome the difficulties with reaching. The reason for that is, even if the patient starts holding these parts in a position corresponding to the objective norm, such a modification typically does not lead to the development of a more appropriate strategy of reaching for the object. Instead, 
a different variant of the original inadequate strategy is usually employed by the patient. This means that since we do not manipulate our body as an instrument or a machine, the physiotherapeutic intervention cannot be addressed merely to the patient's consciousness. The change of the bodily understanding of a situation has to happen not in the explicit reflective awareness, but on a level that more accurately corresponds to aid bodily intentionally. This means, in sum, that physiotherapeutic techniques cannot acquire an optimal level of efficiency as long as they are built on objectivistic theorizations of the body. We argue with Merleau-Ponty that physiotherapeutic approaches that rely on mechanistic interventions or on the patient's conscious representations of her body are building merely on a second-order expressions of what is happening in the body. Even if these approaches are successful to a certain extent, their efficiency does not result from a clear intention and is not fully reflected. In the last section, Petr will explain our interpretation of physiotherapy as a reorganization of bodily intentionality. We have seen that once intentions are embedded in the living body and that, inversely, the organization of the living body cannot be exhaustively described merely in physical terms because it is linked to our intentional activities. Building on this twofold critique of objectivism and subjectivism, we can now elaborate Merleau-Ponty's suggestions on how to understand motor disorders as modifications of bodily intentionality. Finally, we will briefly describe the framework of a physiotherapy focused on bodily intentionality. As we have explained, the relationship between a given physical symptom and its value within a patient's concrete experience is never given in advance. From an objectivist point of view, a paretic arm has to be described in measurable terms, that is, as the ranges of its active and passive joint movements, or as the level of spasticity in each of its muscles. As we have pointed out, however, a paretic arm with worse measurable parameters can still serve better to the patient compared to an arm that is objectively less impaired. For this reason, physiotherapy has to understand the body primarily as an intentional agent that is capable to maintain a certain relationship with the environment, no matter how the internal physical conditions and the external environment change. Correspondingly, physiotherapy has to address what we call a bodily understanding, that is, the capacity of the body to maintain the overall organization of a sensory-motor situation by compensating the variations of the environment through internal variations. What is addressed then is our capability to seamlessly adjust our posture and movement so we can continue to walk when we have just stepped on a tilted or slippery surface. As a relationship between the subject and the environment, which is maintained across variations. The bodily understanding can be neither measured nor adjusted to the patient's benefit from the third-person perspective. An objectivist approach does not make it possible to therapeutically address precisely the intentional stability across all the objective variation measured. Building on this, we argue that motor disorders should be primarily understood and described as modifications of bodily intentionality. To have a motor disorder means that one's relationship to the world has become destructured, less differentiated and less variable. 
A paretic arm, for example, should be described in terms of its reduced capacity to vary its movements in the process of accomplishing a practical task such as catching an object. Instead of varying and differentiating its movements, a patient with paretic arm approaches all situations through only a limited variety of muscle coordination schemes. Usually, the intended movements are also accompanied by unnecessary movements in other parts of the body. As a result, the patient is only successful in catching a ball when sitting, not when standing, or walking, not only when facing the throwing partner, not when turning to the side, etc. In turn, these limitations lead to the patient's decreased capacity to anticipate future events. To expend only a minimum necessary amount of energy to stay posturally stable, etc. In sum, the patient's experiential limitations stem primarily from the fact that, given a physical impairment of the body, she has not yet adapted to sufficiently structure and vary her bodily movement so as to maintain a certain relationship to the world. We argue, moreover, that the motor disorders can only be optimally adjusted if they are dealt with on the level of bodily intentionality. Apart from applying theoretical knowledge of anatomy, physiology, neurology, biomechanics, kinesiology, etc., the therapist must build on the fact that she is herself embodied and that she has acquired a certain practical bodily knowledge. As an embodied being, the therapist is herself open to a given sensory-motor situation and understands its requirements in terms of posture and movement. At the same time, the therapist virtually situates herself into the body of the patient through a skilled visual and palpating contact. Through a process that could be called a bodily empathy, the patient's limited intentional relationship with the situation is incorporated into the therapist's own richer and more adaptable relationship. It is precisely by first embedding the patient's limited bodily intentionality into her own richer intentionality that the therapist determines the limitations of the patient's response to sensorimotor requirements of the situation. Because the patient's intentional relationship to the environment is always unique, in how it makes use of the unique physical means available to her, the therapist cannot just describe a given physical symptom, a general function. Correspondingly, the therapist neither directs the patient's body as a passive object, nor does she just wait for the patient to find the appropriate use of the body by herself. The therapy rather consists in a gradual experimental specification of the intentional value of the patient's physical symptoms. As in dance, the two experiencing bodies, a richer and poorer bodily intentionality, react to one another and coordinate their intentions in an open-ended bodily dialogue. Based on this interaction, the therapist delicately guides the patient's body to new and more adequate variations of meaningful postures and movements. The therapist uses her own body, the elements of the environment and various working aids to organize a learning situation tailored exactly to the patient's needs. 
For example, the therapist pushes the shoulder blade of the patient from the direction which is closed for the patient's own wound, while instructing the patient to act against this force. By positioning the patient in a specific way, pushing or pulling parts of her body, providing resistance to her movement, and sometimes by using verbal instruction as well, the therapist helps the patient to more finely structure the coordination of her body and to create new functional oppositions between her various motor possibilities. In this bodily field of interaction, the patient must cope with sensory motor requirements that involve intermediate steps necessary for a transition to successfully dealing with the requirements of a real-world situation. The patient can neither just think about doing something nor just be physically put in that position or movement without intending it. It is precisely by intentionally acting with her body in a bodily field of interaction that the patient creates a new form of correspondence between her intentional acts and the limited physical means that are currently at her disposal. So, this is how we propose to understand a phenomenological physiotherapy. We hope that our argumentation helps you better understand how the intentionality, one of the key phenomenological concepts, can be used in physiotherapy as both a practical discipline and a theoretical framework. Further, our presentation shows that Merleau-Ponty's phenomenological work on the body can be used beyond the original context of his discussions and should be incorporated in our present-day approach to the body. We hope that you enjoyed our presentation and if you have any questions or comments, you can contact us using the information below.